This week's episode is brought to you by a 10-game point streak. When it was 10 games of wins, we played the Godlight kill streak, but since they had a couple of ties in there, we'll just politely acknowledge it. 10 games. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into a weird little avalanche hockey podcast called Burgundy Radio. Coming up on the show, the avalanche have done a whole lot of winning, the return of everyone's favorite elite prospect's name pronunciation, and NHL-wide accolades for one avalanche player. But before we go, let's hear from your disappointed voices of the week. Joining us as usual is Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. And Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Happy December, everybody. And Rudo has the day off as he's chasing the Eagles around, so let's go. A quick disclaimer off the top, we recorded the show Saturday night, so if it's Monday where you are, whatever happened to the Detroit game, we don't know about it yet. You'll have to wait for next week. So, we probably have to spend a little time on the Johnson hit, so how do you two feel about getting it out of the way? Let's do it. So on Friday, the Avs play one of the ugliest, jankiest games of the season so far against the St. Louis Blues, come away with a 3-2 overtime loss. Nikita Zadorov and Miko Rantanen score for the Avs as they come back from an early 2-0 deficit, but nobody really cares about any of that. They just want to talk about Eric Johnson getting the hook for knocking Alexander Steen out of the game. The Avs are already short-marked Barbario and Tyson Berry, as we'll get into a little bit later. Um, so they called up our old friend for the occasion and essentially played the game with four defenders. Guess who they called up? Mark. 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 Before we get to Mark Alt, let's hit up the Eric Johnson conversation. So, um... Obviously, he took a five-minute elbowing penalty and a game misconduct. Um, I think we can probably all agree off the hop that that was just not elbowing in any way, shape, or form. I agree with that. <laughs> I don't know what it, it was. Anything, I, but elbowing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish they had more angles of that just to see sort of really what, what went on there. Because neither of the ones that I saw really showed you know, really what happened there. Um, I don't know. I I have more of a tolerance probably than a lot of people do for this. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, And I, you know, I do appreciate the fact that in the context of what had just happened um, with Steen hitting McKinnon, which was a totally legal hit, but it was, you know, it was a big hit. And the fact that... Half inch before the contact was made. Yeah, quite a bit. Um... But the you know, the Blues had been playing a very physical style against the Avalanche all game, and the refs were not in control of the game at that time, I thought. Um, I, I thought when the Avs were called for two penalties, more or less right in, in a row towards the end of the first period, uh, sort of without a, a, <clears throat> a tit-for-tat uh, Blues call, that that kind of rose the frustration level of not just the abs, but just about everyone on the ice, because um, it, it just sort of seemed like the, the, the game was spiraling out of control as we entered the second period. And, you know, and, and EJ is very susceptible to the red mist, and, and that's kind of what happened. Um, so, 
you know, I, I kind of blame the refs for this and, and, you know, sort of the, the blues, whether, whether Steen's injured or not, we don't really know. And it doesn't seem like there will be supplemental discipline on EJ at this point, talking on Saturday night, at least. Um, so maybe, you know, the consequences really aren't that big, but you know, it, it's just, it's a shame that that kind of had to happen and it was preventable. I, I usually side on the hits happen in hockey and this and that, but I thought the hit was pretty bad. <laughs> you could, you could find multiple reasons to not like it. One, it was retaliation. Two, it was late. Three, it was a blind side. Four, it was high. And five, there was head contact. I, hey, I'm not complaining if, if player safety does not want to suspend him because the, with the injuries now, the abs really would be in a bind without EJ. So thank goodness for that. I, I don't know why, of all the things that, the stupid things that they've suspended abs players for, and not this one, but fine with me. I just, and it started with a McKinnon turnover that we have to talk about how stupid he was on that play that he had control of the puck. He was over the blue line and he brought it back over the blue line himself, put himself in a position to get hit. Of course he was going to get hit right there, separate him from the puck and the puck's still in the defensive zone. It was just, that whole sequence was maddening. And then to cap it off, then you have Red Mist EJ taking Steen out, completely unnecessary. It was just, the game could have just completely unfolded right there. It could have, they could have just been done. I think unnecessary is really the key word here. There was absolutely no reason for that hit at that moment. The puck had, I went back and watched it again today just to time it. The puck had been gone for a full second before Johnson made contact. I'm going to disagree with the blindside characterization because it was kind of like they're kind of facing each other. But Steen had just taken a shot that he'd laid his whole body into, so his head's about, you know, mid-chest level. And Eric Johnson has a full second to, I don't know, not hit the guy? (laughs) It's almost like EJ looked at him and then still hit him. And, And... and to know for sure you would would like to see the front angle, and maybe that's why they're not looking at it because they don't have an angle from the front, but um or maybe they do yeah, maybe we maybe. Just didn't see it on t v <laughs> right but but like you said, if it's a full second that's a late hit as it is anyway, it's just um. You know, it was too bad to see him get kicked out of the game, but I, I think this was way more warranted than the Cole hit, which I thought was completely clean when he was kicked out of the game. Yeah. I saw enough replays on the Cole hit to finally kind of buy that it was charging because he did kind of skate through the guy. But there, there's no question that the Johnson hit was absolutely charging because of how far he came across the ice to target a guy. It just gets back to those inconsistencies. So if they, if they get away with this one here, then then we can't say that, that they're always looking to get the avalanche. But I mean, how long? I were you still feel like it was pretty bad. How, how long were you expecting to lose EJ after that hit? Two, three games. I thought it was. I, I thought if they gave him one, maybe two, I could buy it. Um, but I think it doesn't sp- surprise me that it didn't get any so far 
I think he's past the point of one. Like, if they're going to bother and suspend him, pretty much like any AV is past one, or anyone that has been suspended before. Right. I was half expecting to not see Eric Johnson back until their road trip is over, just because he's a repeat offender under the CBA. Like, he's someone who's been suspended multiple times <coughs> for unnecessary hits at points of the game when they didn't matter. So. Yeah, four four would have been. I would have been disappointed for. I'd say maybe two would have been fair, but I would have thought it was heavy too. I, but I would have. I would have assumed it was intentionally heavy because he's been suspended several times. Yeah, that that's why I think one definitely wouldn't be on the table. But I know there's hits in every game, and um, it is funny. Like we're advocating for him to get suspended, but it's just like. If that had happened to one of our players, <laughs> if if that had happened to Miko and he has a concussion now, we would have just been outraged. We'd be living. Yeah. We'd be banging on Gary Bettman's office. Here's a tinfoil hat question for us. Uh, and and let's just assume for the sake of argument here that that he is not going to be suspended. Um, do you think that the Avs record right now plays into any of sort of the decision making on DOPS's part here. I I don't think the league especially cares about having the Avs do well, so I I guess my question sort of flows into do you think that the Avs are becoming somewhat darlings of the NHL now? No. That would be a trip. They need, they need to I mean, win and no, but I mean, just like, you know, today, December 1st, you know, it's like, you know, Mac was just second star of the month. He's um, like the Miko. only one they acknowledge for the most oh, part. Like, Miko, they had to give Miko the first star. He's had the most points out of anybody in October. <clears throat> um, but, you know, they, they talk about the Avs now, whereas they didn't used to. And sort of the, the days when they wouldn't even acknowledge the Avs making their first round pick back when they took Makar uh, at the draft. You know, it's like it, it, we're sort of a far cry from those days. And, and maybe, you know, maybe the Avs are back to, you know, maybe a little, they've, they've always been sort of a redheaded stepchild of the league. But oh, I'm you know, sure I, I, that they I, like young talent. They like McKinnon. So McKinnon's like becoming a household name. Sure, they like yeah, that. But it, as far as the whole organization, I don't know because, yeah, I think there's a lot of bad to undo there. there. There's a lot of irrelevance, and then there's just like a lot of bad memories. Right. I mean, Pierre Lacroix would, was not ever a favorite of the NHL, and, and that's you know when he was running the team for all those years. That's it, sort of you know it, it made it more difficult than it needed to be for the Avs to get things, but. When the Avs get to be the opponent in every outdoor game, then they can be the darlings. <laughs> well, they sounds like they're going to be a host next year, so. But as the visitor, then they'd really be arrived. As the team that's selling the game to the hosting team, You're saying, "See, don't <laughs> yeah. you want to come watch this team?" Yeah, if they're if they're the visitors for like Winnipeg or something, then. Ew! Ew! <laughs> No. That's fair. Then, then you could say that they're a draw, but they still think Line is the best fin or the most interesting fin in the league. 
Do you want to play oh. in minus 35 weather? <laughs> Is that Fahrenheit or Celsius? It doesn't matter. That's true. I realize that's a secret. Um... So anyway, Eric Johnson probably should have been suspended. Looks like he probably won't be. Um, if if I'm a Blues fan, I'm pretty frustrated about that. And uh, the Avs honestly played very rough hockey. Not like they're rough and tumble, although, although obviously Cole and Zadorov did their job. But they just were not... That was not a good game. I mean, the second period was... You know, it's right up there with one of the worst periods of the year so far, for sure. Um, I wonder if they did kind of take the Blues a little bit lightly. And if when you win six in a row, the confidence is definitely rolling. You start to get a little overconfident. And I, mean, I, I, I think, it, I mean, they've played a lot of games lately. And, that's true, you know, too. The energy really wasn't there from sort of the, the word go. They, I mean, the first period, I think they. It's not like they were flat. I remember when they interviewed, or when Lauren interviewed Bednar in the first period, and he said he liked their jump. He liked how they started in the first, but giving up the two goals, and I think, I think they underestimated the Blues a little bit. I because you know we'd even been talking about just how terrible they are and how this was, we weren't even going to really worry about this game, but. It's like it's like teams that have been good historically or in the, the recent future or the recent past, like Pittsburgh, you know, they're they're not doing too well, but they have enough experience and talent there where once they get rolling, they're better than what their record is. And I feel like the blues are kind of that way too, even though they are a bad team and somehow they got the best version of Jake Allen last night for some reason. Yeah, and that's then... kind of a big point there. <laughs> <laughs> and then Cause... they do still have talent on that team. So, And they play physical. They play hard. It is a rivalry. Usually, the past few years, it's been very tough for the Abs to beat the Blues at all. And so I think all of that kind of combined last night. And, and it ended up being a tougher game than it needed to be. But I also yeah. agree that the three games in four nights, the, that third game always seems to be a bit of a adventure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I look at, so when I was writing the recap this morning, I, I kind of looked at, you know, like Jake Allen obviously had a fantastic night, and that's great for him. You know, it's like he's not as bad as he seems. Like, I don't think he's that great of a goalie, but he hasn't been as bad as he's, he's looked this year. So... You know, good for him for putting on a good performance. <clears throat> um, you know, I also think that, you know, even though there's, you know, the, the coach is not there and, and you know, uh, quite a few players aren't there, um, that loss in game 82 last year, I, I think that might stick in their minds a little bit. You know, not not quite sort of the way game seven in Minnesota did in the Patrick Waugh first season, but, you know, I, I don't think they could be too happy with themselves after that game. So there was a little unfinished business from their side and, you know, they, they came out and, you know, they, they competed harder um, in the first period for sure. Well, congratulations on winning a regular season game in November. Exactly. <laughs> um, hey, it's not a bad thing that St. Louis got points because yeah. 
We also care about the Pass Ottawa race. And we are a big fan of a lot of bad teams. I definitely don't disagree with the Jake Allen point at all. I mean, the Avs only had 29 shots. They didn't even quite make it to 30, but probably close to a dozen of those shots were in tight, fantastic chances. And Allen was just up to the task, and sometimes that happens. Yeah, I mean, they, he stopped three breakaways. I'm going to leave that pause so y'all can think about stopping three breakaways. We consider a breakaway a coin flip, and he came up heads three times in a row. Um, before yeah. we get off into the weeds, let's go ahead and talk about the good news from this week. On Tuesday, Avs going to Nashville, and they come out with a win, 3-2 over the Predators. Probably because they kept friggin' Colton Sissons off the score sheet, so well done there. Nathan McKinnon scored twice, Tyson Jost added a goal of his own, and by the way, 36 saves on 38 shots isn't bad for Simeon Varlamov either. The Avalanche were without Tyson Berry in this game, and he hasn't been back yet with a lower body injury. Um, do we know when that happened? Because the joke has been back to the, oh, got hurt wrestling on the dad's trip thing. <laughs> um, apparently in the Dallas game, but I just haven't looked back at the exact time logs to see what what might have happened there? I thought it was something nagging that got aggravated in that game. I'm not sure if it was something like he got hit. I think it just <clears throat> he's been hobbling a bit lately. I would kind of fashed it off. I would definitely believe that. That's true. I think he's missed a couple practice or like skates or something. Yeah. Because was was it that game that he missed a few shifts at the end of the first period, or was that the game before? Because I think it was the game before that one. <clears throat> I'd have, um, yeah, I'd have to look look it up to right. be sure. Um, but it was something you know. It's like he missed a, a couple of shifts, and he ended up coming back in the, the second period and third period of whatever game that was, and then you know that wasn't the game before he went out. So I I, I think it was something that they were trying to play through and it just wasn't working i even remember back to camp i think when he missed some time in camp so it it could yeah, be something like that camp. so the abs definitely leaned on varley a little bit in this one um 36 saves is a lot but um at the same time like they went up against a predators team that was playing exactly the kind of hockey that gets the abs in trouble against the predators for the last million years and were up to the task and came out on top. Like I, I felt really good about this game at the end of the day. It's always hard to remember the first game of the week whenever we do these, but from what I recall, wasn't the second period especially good? Avs played against Nashville. And then I think it was, what, beginning of the third period is when Joe got the power play goal. So. Yeah. That one was a pretty solid all-around game, and I and I agree, especially on the road, at you could say arguably the best team in the league, and they even though they began kind of shaky and they they gave up two goals and and they kind of had to come back, it it was kind of a statement game for them, I think, and and it was really good to see. It's also interesting that it was during the dad's trip which um, they hadn't done in a long time. And Wass said it was a distraction and why he didn't like doing a dad's trip. And maybe the opposite actually happened where they were more focused and ready for, to, to play well 
in light of having what you could consider maybe some distractions. Well, you don't yeah. want to come back into the locker room after the game and then dad goes, so what happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I liked how Bedner explained how he thought about how, thought about it, how it was giving back, but it's also kind of encouraging support. And then he also said that he felt like they would be pretty amped up to play well in front of the fathers and brothers. So then that's exactly what happened. And then, Except of course, the third period. Yeah. <laughs> Tyson Jones gets his power play goal, and Nashville goes, Oh, hell, we're actually behind right now. And Colorado goes, Go ahead, try to beat Have us. Have fun. Just try to beat Varlamov if you can't do it. And it turns out they <laughs> were right, but they did give up 20 shots in the third, and that's a little bit of a barcarama. Well, you know, yeah. turtle. But while the game was tight and, and close and not the third period, there, there was a lot to take away from this game that was positive. Then yeah. on Wednesday, Avs traveled for a home game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who were also traveling back-to-back. They come up with a pretty strong victory. They allowed a Sidney Crosby hat trick and nothing else. 6-3 your final. Sam Girard, Eric Johnson, and Colin Wilson creating a 3-0 lead that Crosby then wrenched back. At which point the Avs said not today and poured on three goals from Gabe Landeskog, Carl Soderberg, and McKinnon, of course, into an empty net. Um, this is exactly the kind of comeback that we saw the Calgary Flames put on the Avs earlier in the season, and they folded and crumbled. This was not the same. I was yeah. a little worried, and especially when they gave up the two goals at the very end of the second. You, you just knew that they weren't going to hold on and win that game 3-2. to two. And then, of course, it did get tied up. But it, it was really good to see them not do the Calgary and just let the game get away from them. So it was like the three games this week, they kind of did the same thing where they had some adversity, but they were able to take the game back, which I think is a good mark of maturity, even though we would rather them not give up leads or turtle or do these dumb things as well. But I think it is a process and what they're doing here is a good part of the process. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that was a fantastic comeback. I mean, you know, it getting a three nothing lead on the Penguins. You know, obviously they're not, you know, not at the top of their game right now, but you know they're still a solid veteran team. Um, you know, and obviously it was disturbing the way that the the Penguins came back with those two goals at the end of the second period. And, the, the Penguins you know, didn't come back. They, yeah, they they handed goals to Sidney Crosby. <laughs> That's what happened. Right. Let's um, let's talk about two of those goals because yes, it was three to three, but two of those goals were absolutely magic bullshit. Because <laughs> the first goal, Zadorov has a just an open lane to blast one from the high slot, and a stick explodes, and Crosby has a breakaway and beats Philip Grubauer. He's Sidney Crosby. What are you gonna do? I I still don't know. I mean, Z turned away from from the rush. I like I know you can, you can't get on him for the stick breaking that happens to everybody but it, it was like at least try to impede as there's the, literally the nothing breakaway. you can do without a stick on a breakaway unless you're, I mean it's like, better than McKinnon having chasing nobody there <laughs> even if you catch up to him it's it's Crosby he's going to go around you well right. I mean, you're, Sam you're, you're going to look silly a without a stick that's about it yeah you're basically going to give him a penalty shot so he, he's basically got one anyway so you may as well just well, let Sam him play did out. it he defended a breakaway without a stick is Z Sam? I know, but Z is not Sam. <laughs> Still, though, it's better yeah. to be an obstacle than to than to have nothing there. But whatever, I'm not, that's 
I'm not going to die on that hill and blame Z for it. it <laughs> you yeah. would have wished Grubauer made a better save there. It was yeah, nice I mean, you, you could wish that Eric Cole or that Ian Cole hadn't uh, pinched in on the other side too. I mean, there's you know, there, it wasn't just yeah. Z stick breaking. There was a lot going wrong on that play. I don't even have that much of a problem with Grubauer on that play. Like he makes the initial save, and Crosby just sticks with it and finds a way to cram at home. Sometimes the best yeah, player out of these burns you. Really, you, well, you've got to be able to save that. No, yeah, <laughs> we're, well, we're gonna save it. We're we're going to save our criticism of Grubauer because the second goal was also magic bullshit. Yeah, because Patrick but it started Nemeth, with a fun play. Yeah, <laughs> pa- Patrick, Patrick Nemeth Nemeth. goes. Wait a minute, I'm a linebacker, and yeah. you're not. That's a penalty. You can't do that. And so the and so after was it Johnson or Cole that decided to play it back through all the legs instead of around the boards. One of the two. One, one of the yeah, two. It was the... just like, that's not the play. And then Grubauer gets beat from about a half a degree angle on the sideboards. Near side. It, it was like, <laughs> it was like Nemeth knew he was getting called, so he was just like, I'm getting my money's worth now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that part I can appreciate. You know what? If you're already getting, already getting called, then you make sure the guy doesn't score. But <laughs> That's true. But that that second goal was just about as weak as it gets. It it works yeah, in the in the books like a power play goal, but ew. It it is. It's pretty sad. They won the face off. They had possession, <laughs> and yeah. then they go the I mean, wrong way. When do they ever win a face off? I mean, come right. on. Yeah. Whatever whatever happens there, they go the wrong way with the puck. They pass it right to Crosby. He makes it. A terrible angle shot, and it goes in with like ten seconds left or nineteen seconds left. That that that's just a morale killer right there. It's just like, yeah. And I, are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime you know, if you go back more than a year, that would have killed the Avs. Um, you know, they just didn't have the resiliency until later on in, in last year's season. That usually yeah. kills most teams to to give up the momentum like that, and, that and not it, only that, to... like honestly, they they came out pretty flat in the third, and the and the Penguins really <laughs> took it to them early, and you know Crosby finished off the hat trick, and right? He, he did, but, he did like... earn that goal. We're not going to call that one magic bullshit. That was a good play. No, not at all. I mean, the Penguins came out and they played fantastic. Yeah. They really took it to the Avs, but as soon as Crosby got that hat trick, the Avs went on a nice run, and they earned the the power play, and and. You know, they got themselves a goal, <clears throat> and then it just, you know, it, it rolled from there. So, I mean, I, I think they, in the third period, they really showed what they were made of. Yeah. On that Landy goal, I wanted to ask you guys, because Altitude said that Landy was shooting to purposely have it deflect out the defenseman's stick. Do you guys yeah, believe no. that? That, that seems could... a little, I don't know. Gabe is the tipper. Not the tippy. Yeah, that. They I mean, didn't I really think explain sh- that one, so I don't know if that was just altitude fairy dust. I I think that that's I, I altitude saying shoot. calculated. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you're shooting from where he was, you're shooting to try and, you know, whether it's it's an opponent's stick or one of your teammates' sticks, you're just trying to get it, you know, moving in a different direction. Yeah, right, like. Yeah, you're hoping right. for a deflection, but to purposely aim for a defense... I mean, because how do you know exactly what angle is going to come off the stick? At? Right. I mean... Parallax. If it, 
If it's a teammate, then, then you can generally guess what they want to do with it. But if it's a defender, you don't know. So, yeah. No, I wasn't that nervous. But that was a, but a fun way, game, a, a nice fun goal. comeback. Yeah. It, it felt like Pittsburgh was pretty much allowed to do whatever they wanted defensively. Um, yeah. Which which made all the tears when uh, Latang got wiped out at the end of the game kind of funny. Sorry. And, uh, yeah, he probably got tripped, and no, we don't care. Because did you watch me go random in that game at all? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, Miko's kind of on the shit list because of his diving. And, <laughs> you know, it's it, too it, bad. It's, the guy's not going to get a call now forever. I know, he's not. And, <laughs> you know, that's just sort of, you know, his lot in life for the you know, I, I don't know how long it's going to take before the, the refs take pity on him and finally give him some calls, but... You're going to have know. to break your stick on the, his face, I think. Pretty much, you know, it's like, for, pretty much, you know, you're, you're only going to get the most obvious of calls. <clears throat> and, you know, that, that sucks, but, you know, I, I think the Avs can deal with it. Though they clearly did in that game. Yeah. That was, that was pretty, pretty rough. And uh, it just—it felt like the Avs have been really up against it in terms of, of officiating all week long. Like they don't—they haven't historically done well in those sort of playoffy physical fests like we saw in Nashville. Um, and they really seem to handle themselves pretty well in that one, I thought. And then yeah. I think they're getting better. Yeah, they are. I think they're improving think at that. They—they they push back a bit against the Blues too. I think. I think they're figuring it out. Yeah, but that, the pushback against the Blues is, was less to do about the game style and more to do with who knows what's a penalty. We don't. <laughs> I mean, it was just a strange week from the Stripes. Like, we come, we, we try to leave the refs alone um, on this show because it's not usually worth our breath to talk about, but this week was bizarre. Yeah, I... You know, I and how many I'd, goal reviews too? I, I, there, there has to be one against Nashville, and there was. And it, which game had two of them? Was that the Pittsburgh game where they had to review? I, which game was it that Bednar and the other team pretty much threw their timeouts away on Iffy? That was the Pittsburgh I, game. Yeah. yeah. So Bednar's usually pretty good. He has a good yeah, grasp a of the rule book. Yeah. <laughs> He's usually pretty good at knowing when to challenge. He doesn't do a lot of YOLO challenges. That one definitely yeah. seemed like a bit of a Hail Mary. Yeah. I mean, he, if he's so um, like touchy with using his timeouts, maybe that was a timeout. Maybe, maybe that too, because I think it was at that Crosby breakaway. Maybe maybe it was kind of a twofer that he, he wanted it. A timeout, so you might as well just challenge it as well. But I, it would be interesting if they would ask him on the radio or something just what he thought about that play made him think that it could be goaltender interference. Because he usually I mean, I, I, has a reason for thinking something is a penalty. I mean, I, I, I think that Brett Heimlich and whoever's up there with him in, the, in their skybox looks at that. Up there doing maneuvers. But I've uh, seen like charts where it, I, I forget who, which one of the analytics guys has a chart of like the coaches and how often they challenge and then also their success rate so obviously there's a different range where some coaches challenge everything some coaches challenge nothing some are terrible at it some are good at it and Bedner falls into the good box where 
he's pretty often right, and then he does it a decent enough where it's kind of an advantage for the Avs. He has a good he has a good feel about it when it's going to be La- something La- La- in his favor, and he'll do feel. it. Lavia yeah, Lavalette La- La- yeah. seems to have a good feel for it too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he is against other teams, but when Nashville plays the Avalanche, Lavalette La- challenges five hundred times a game with a one hundred percent success rate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if we could go through the next week without any goal challenges, that would be super. It would be yeah. very nice, and if we could just know whether we're going to get a game called like it's October or May. Or like a random number generator is calling penalties. It'd be nice to know that ahead of time too. Yeah, we need a new we need a new rule where if if a linesman does the psych out with the puck, that the centers both get to smack <laughs> him in the knee too, because that's they, just getting they ridiculous need, they these just, They just need to stop. Stop that. They they've got to come up with something to yeah. cut out the face off bullshit because it is it's. It's ridiculous. It slows the game down. It makes everybody look stupid. And it's annoying. Nobody needs that. Like, if you're the linesman, you're only going to get booed for very obviously blown calls. Because your your job isn't that major, okay? You watch the blue line, you blow an offsides, we're going to boot you. If it looks like it should really have been icing and you let the other team just kind of go get it, we're going to boo you for that. But you know what really gets a linesman just to get trash thrown at him from over the boards is pump faking your face-offs. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares about you. Drop the puck. Exactly. And I know they're trying to make it fair, and, and they're in you know they're not in a great spot with that. But it's just what you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. It's still the best call in NHL officiating history. Um, yeah. So we made it through the week uh, without Tyson Berry, without Mark, Bar- uh, Mark Barbario, without Mark Barbario's mustache. So they've called up Mark Alt. Explain. That 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 was a surprise. Um, he's only what he was only out. He finished the the Pittsburgh game, right? Yeah. And then it was just a surprise that he's out and they called up Mark Alton and it was like, was this because of Barry? But they already have six defensemen and then kind of thinking about it, well, with the Eagles at home, you're just not going to call someone up a day early just for extra bodies to have around. So then, yeah, then Mark Alt played before... Before we knew anything different, and nobody's really explained the Barbario injury. I guess anything that's sudden and kind of... And he was put on IR today, so... Anything that's sudden and that kind of rules him out for a while, we think maybe concussion, but nobody really knows. He did take a big hit in the Pittsburgh game, so maybe it was related to that. Barbario's injuries always seem a little bit mysterious, like he's there and then he's gone. Kind of like Andrew Ghetto. Sometimes he's like, oh, Sven's gone. And then he doesn't come back for a while. But um, so we'll just have to see. But we had nine minutes of the Mark Gold experience in the Blues game. Boy, did we ever. If you didn't watch the game and you looked at his shot stats, you would have thought, well, why'd they only play him nine minutes? I yeah those those stats just I have no idea. If you watch the nine minutes, you'd go, oh, 
<laughs> there, wasn't there one sequence where he couldn't get the puck out twice? Then when he got the puck, he passed it right to someone in the slot. And then he fell down trying to defend that guy. And I think he didn't see a whole lot after that. Uh, my, my favorite part of the Mark Alt experience was when he threw it about a mile and a half behind a very easy open breakout <laughs> pass, which turned the puck over. Yeah, yeah, I I know I remember that exactly. <laughs> yeah, so so when they had five D with EJ getting tossed out in the second period, and they still only played all nine minutes, that kind of tells you what to think about Mark Alt. But he's still there, so they obviously don't hate him too much either. Keep expecting I, Earl to break in. There you go. I was starting to wonder if you were muted. <laughs> no, I don't know what something went something went haywire with my setup here. But um, yeah, that was a <clears throat> it's a real head scratcher because I, I, this was pretty much the perfect game to try something. Now, obviously, St. Louis put up a lot more of a fight than it looked like it was going to be on paper. So, you know, maybe Mark Alt was the right call for this game. But, it, you know, it really looked like if you were going to bring up somebody that, you know, just to try them out, <clears throat> um, this was a great opportunity. And, you know, I, of course, I'm referring to Nick Malosh. Um, You know, give give the time to a prospect right now rather than, Mark Alt or Anton Lindholm or even Ryan Graves. Um, just because y you might need Nick Malosh for more than a game at some point down the road. And, you know, he could, he could have taken something from this game and brought it back to Loveland and, and worked on stuff and, and been better down the road. So it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a little disappointing. Now the, with Barbario on IR, there is a, a roster spot open. So the Eagles, as we are speaking here on Saturday night, are set to play in another hour and a half. Um, it, 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 you would think, unless Barry is ready to go, that they're going to call up another defenseman because the Eagles called up two defensemen today and they only really needed one. So it, it, it kind of looks like they... <clears throat> You know, they are expecting someone to be leaving after the game, or could. They should have just put uh, him on the plane then, because then the Eagles would play with the two guys they called up, because then they don't play until next weekend. Right. But... It, uh, I mean, I think it's important. Like, I don't think they could really deal with, like, Davis and Josh Anderson in the lineup together. <laughs> I so... mean, they played 5D last night, though, so... Yeah. Oops. Um... <laughs> I don't know why they didn't call anybody up when Alt was called up to the Avs on Thursday. Yeah, like they probably forgot last <laughs> year. The Avs um, just absolutely hate having to call guys up. Like I also feel like if Barry went on that trip today and he, if he's iffy for any of the games coming up, then they'll try to get by with the six. And hope that Barry comes in. Like if they know that they have the six they can play tomorrow with, they don't want to have an extra. Right. Like Barry's considered the extra. So I don't think know. they're gonna call anyone out, but um we'll see. 
But to get back to your point, I too am disappointed that they didn't try Milosh for this. Even if there was just one game, if they don't want him to go on the road trip, but like they, both teams were at home, they could have easily had him play for the Avs, go back to the Eagles for tonight's game, or even for a week. Then after this, the Eagles don't play until next weekend. So he's going to be doing nothing but practicing a couple times this coming week. Wouldn't it be something to be with the NHL club, get in some NHL practices? If you're going to play a guy nine minutes, it doesn't matter who you're playing. He could have done the job that Alt did. And that, well, and, then, and that's the, it, 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 it goes back to the fact that they seem to think, you know, I, I mean, I know that, that Peter McNabb puts a, a shiny view on things, but, you know, he and Moser were both talking about how great it was that they had this NHL ready defenseman ready, you know, just sitting in Loveland anytime they needed him. And it quickly became apparent that that was not what Mark Alt was. Well, how many games of NHL experience does he have? Ten? Like, we're not talking about some seasoned guy here that has 100 NHL games or more than that. Like, yeah, he doesn't have NHL experience either. And it's just, it's so important right now that Malosh gets some of that experience as part of his development. Like, this is how you develop young defensemen and young prospects. You give them a taste, you send them back. Like a lot of his, I've been talking a lot and I won't go into it, but a lot of his peers are getting called up and having their first tastes in the NHL. Doesn't mean they're going to stay, but it's part of them becoming an impact roster player down the road. And it's like the Avs want to wait until someday they're hit over the head that this guy is an NHL player right now. And it just never happens because they don't get these steps that are part of their development process. They're just waiting for the epiphany to happen. And it's never going to. And then they're just going to keep calling up guys like Alt and Warsawski and God knows who else. Well, I mean, I think they honestly thought that Mark Alt would come up and be better than what we saw. And that, you know, that, that goes like back to... But like you said, the what... guy has how many NHL games experience? Right. Well, well, I mean, I'm just, you know, the way that Pete and Mosier were talking during the broadcast, it's like, oh, this is great. We've got this, you know, just like an eighth defenseman sitting in our AHL club just up the road. And he gets out there and it's just, you know, he can't think the game quickly enough, can't make a pass. And and you're just like, you know, is this what you expected and you're fine with it? Or is this different from what you expected? And that means that your talent evaluation is a little off. Well, I, I think their talent evaluation is a problem, that's for sure. Right. I mean, we know I they don't like Alt. I'm not saying that I think Nick Malosh would have done a, a much better than Mark Alt out there. I mean, it's, you know, it, it would be his first game. It was, you know, the situation with EJ and, you know, also with Cole going out for um, five minutes in the first period. I mean, you know, that, that would have been a rough game for anyone to deal with. But, but it's um, the investment of the minutes right. that it would have meant something. That yeah, it would have been it's part like, of his development and something that would help help him down the line. Exactly. I mean, Milosh would have taken some more from that game than Mark Alt did. And now it's just like that opportunity's kind of passed and, and that's tough. But, you know, it's like they could call him up after the game tonight, go on the road trip and maybe get into a game or two and, you know, it all works out. But, but we'll you know, they're that. not going to do that. So, the, so then it becomes the win is the chance going to be like, does do three guys need to go out of the lineup? You know, we're waiting for the deadline. You know, it brings up all these things, these excuses. 
these, oh, we'll just wait till this comes up. And then it comes up and it just doesn't happen. And that's also disappointing because there's, there's guys on the waivers out there. There's Alsner. So there's always options. There's always Alsner. <laughs> the team's already in Detroit, though, so they're not going to make any more moves. That would be like swapping alt from a loss or anything like that. So, yeah, they're probably going to roll with what they have for tomorrow and go from there. So, I mean, that with the pretty reasonable assumption at this point that nothing's going to happen to Eric Johnson, then that makes your bottom pair be really, 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 really hard to trust. Yeah. Um, it and it's lucky that we're we've got a you know the the opponents we've got this week coming up you know there's some tough games but there are some easier games so um, again you know this would be a great time to put someone that that maybe isn't as experienced in the lineup so I don't know <clears throat> I I don't think that ha- having Mark Alt in the lineup is is going to be you know is going to kill them this week. Fingers crossed. No, it's it's they needed somebody to come up, but yeah, they they didn't pick someone. They called up someone. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, it's, right. it sounds like like from from this perspective, they they said we have a hole in the roster. Give me a defenseman. Instead of saying they have, there's a hole in the roster. Who could we put there? What would be the best long term decision we could make? And. I mean that's that's just pretty normal. That's that's pretty much business as usual around here. But yeah, the uh, the Avs' top four defenders are fine at worst. Um, even with Bar- even with uh, Tyson Berry out, they're fine. It just comes down to how much does the pairing of Nemeth and Alt get destroyed on the road. And... Yeah, you just have to limit it as much as possible. And, and I agree, the top four is solid, so you can lean on them. And it should be pointed out that Zadorov has played well with more minutes, surprise, surprise. But, you know, he, he has stepped in in Barry's absence, and Gerard's picked up a few points in Barry's absence. So I think both of those have done um, a pretty good job of of kind of taking on a little bit more than they normally would so i do still feel okay about the defense but yeah especially on the road you've just they've just got to try to keep all nemeth off the ice as much as possible yeah i mean it turns out that having five top four defensemen is really good comparing to compared to have you know like three or or one they'd be pretty you dire know, big... if, if they had been short johnson though because they would have had three again yeah <laughs> that right. that would have been yeah that would have been really tough because then you're looking at dressing like Alt and Ryan Graves or Lindholm or even Malosh and... like you're you're looking at someone who's yeah. questionably an NHLer and someone who's questionably an NHLer and never been there before right let's and... say they you know let's say the EJ had been suspended and they had to put Alt and Malosh in the lineup at the same time they obviously wouldn't put them together i mean they might i think they would I and then play them like 5 minutes yeah i don't know i mean at that point they seriously yeah. probably would have looked outside and looked at what can they get on the waivers because i just i don't especially this early 
which then again, the later it gets, then you get into playoff push time. But it's just, if they feel like this, this season means something, I just don't think that they would roll out basically like three replacement level players. I guess, I guess Nemeth is debatable, but you know, basically three number sixes. I, I just don't think they would do that. Uh, I mean, I they they might try for a while and see how it goes, but I don't <laughs> think I, I think they'd probably. I, I think you're right. I think they would look elsewhere. I mean, I, I you'd have to. And I guess it um, depends on on how these guys are going to be out. So if they feel like Barry's going to come back this week, that also does kind of like how many games could they survive. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair to the rest of the team to just sit by nothing when you have a situation like that. You know, it's like... But then this, this is... This three is years why, ago. But then this is also why you have a farm team and you have players and you have yeah. 10 extra guys on NHL contracts. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be down to, like, using one and then, holy shit, what if we have to use any of these guys? Like, maybe that should be a wake-up call to you that what you've put there is not good enough or that what you're doing developmentally is not good enough. Where if you're down, if you're one deep, you're like, wow, we're screwed. Right. And, you know, I, again, that's just sort of, you know, trying to get the best veterans you have. And I'm not saying you should always call up veterans in the situation, but it's just, you know, if you need two guys, you should be able to call up one veteran and one prospect. You know, and and like, like if, if the one veteran isn't going to be able to get his job done, then that, you know, that's sort of a problem because, um, you know, it's like they really need at least one guy that they can count on to come up, and and they don't seem to have that right now. Right, like if they had a, like a Barbario type player in the AHL that you actually could feel okay about using like the forwards it seems like they could get several deep without pushing the panic button right but they've set themselves up with the defense where they have seven that they like but past that it gets none sketchy and like boston was three deep into their call-ups and they were using young players and actually doing okay i think they had four or five guys out or something like that yeah so if the if the abs were four or five, I don't deep. I don't even think they could do it. I think I think they would be bringing in outside help. They probably would have signed Justin Falk and played him. Even, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even waivers couldn't help you there. <laughs> you know, it's like that's that's something that if you're not prepared for that, and it, and who would be? I mean, honestly, like what what Boston is going through um, with the amount of injuries on their blue line is something that I mean, I, I don't know how you could prepare for that. Well, they have decent prospects, so they used right. them. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, you know, and, and hopefully that's sort of where we're trending. But it just, you know, they, do, they don't have the defensive stock in prospects right now to be able to cover that. You know, it's like having Timmons injured is obviously... And a, sure, that's not their fault. Right. But they also it's, knew about this. This isn't a surprise. Well, I mean, they didn't know about it on July 1st to the, you know, that they were probably expecting him to be ready for camp. So, and you know, it's like if they had made a move such that, <clears throat> you know, Connor Timmons would not be able to, you know, play in, in Loveland as easily, which they kind of did anyway, but let's not get into that. Um, 
but you know they they need more than Malosh and Timmons in the minors to be able to call up in a situation like this. And, and they've been you know, signing guys like, there, but it just now they aren't. They have all the forwards now. They have O'Connor and they signed Dickinson, and you know they've been looking for more forwards, but they are not looking for defensemen because yeah. they love having the big burly blue line for the Eagles, the Vets. Well, this is what happens when you stack your AHL blue line with well, all right, and, those type you know, of players, is you have no call ups. Well, I mean, look, all right, say, you know, like Zhiravlyov, you know, that he would be nice to have in your system right now to be able to call up. Well, they would never call him up. But I mean, if they had the, at least the but, O'Connor yeah. version of a defenseman, someone that's been into college, you know, whatever they feel like is closer that they, they could use a guy like that. That would What I'm saying helpful. is like, like Danny Z, he, he won't be able to fill that role next year because he won't be here. You know, let's pretend he signs this summer, which, you know, obviously right. that's not any kind of given, but you know, it's like you need to have two or three prospects that you'd be willing to call up. Sure. Because you need them eventually, but I'm saying since they have such a deficit right now, they need to find like the O'Connor version of a defenseman, right? Someone that's a little bit older, that but is actually still a prospect and has upside that you can use as a real call up. Because, like I said, they love the idea of having the veteran, the tough blue line for the Eagles, and they go on the radio and talk about how wonderful it is that they have all these these big bodies and they're gritty. And then now we see what the problem is with creating your entire AHL blue line of non-NHL quality guys is that you have nobody to call up. And they need to supplement that. Because, yeah, when you're talking about your own prospects and your own draft picks, PSA, don't throw away your draft picks. But you will still need to su- – now they're going to need to supplement it and they're going to need to look for some free agents or undrafted yeah real prospect defenseman to, to fill in the gap. Well, and and hopefully man. they do this summer. Freely available all the time. <laughs> well, they've done an okay <laughs> job finding some undrafted and some college free agent forwards, so they, they, just they need, need the to start thinking version. about defense. They, they, they yeah. need the defender version of Sheldon Dries. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they exactly. That would be perfect. But, you know, hopefully this sort of spurs some action on that. And again, yeah. it's, it's yeah. random who signs with you. So, I mean, they, they, sure. they, they could have been doing that. And it's like they just ended up with Kerfoot and Dreis and Sure, but they love, they love the construction of that AHL blue line. Right. But that wasn't a coincidence. I, I guarantee you if, if, if a nice defenseman wanted to sign with them, they'd be fine with it. But then they that'd be more kids. The and they wouldn't have their big, strong veterans. <laughs> like, they're okay with the, the kids and the sprinkled in the forwards because they're anchored by the big, strong, veteran, no-puck skill defenseman. I'm just glad we're talking about the Eagles being built that way and not the Avalanche anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but until we have to call up several of them. Well, then we'd be screwed either way. No team is built to, to withstand several injuries. Um... That's just kind of the way that it goes. I mean, but the only problem is you can't lose two defenders and go, oh, well, we have nobody now. Like, that's... Yeah. That's <laughs> right, because it happens. It, it happens all the time. And yeah, the teams that win the Cup generally are the teams that have the least injuries throughout the year. That's... that's We just know that. 
And the Avs have been been pretty lucky in that department. They really or at have. least on the more fortunate end. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily not necessarily like the teams that have the smallest number of injuries. It's their it's looking at cap hit of injured players and I mean their most significant cap hit impact injury has been Tyson Berry. So like they've they've been not been losing their highest impact players if you judge imp- likely impact as cap hit, which is not a bad indicator. It's obviously got its right, outliers. Right, they ended up with five points with him out of the lineup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that again, That's everyone was really salty and up in arms uh, you know, last night about the officiating and about how the Avalanche played last night. And it's like, hey, they've got, in the last ten games, they have gotten zero points zero times. Quit your bitching. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. It's, it has been a great run. It, five, oh, even five points this and, week. And they're is, leading the league. <laughs> yeah. Is, the conference. <laughs> it is a nice run. Yeah, I, I'm not mad about last night's game. I mean, it would have been nice to win in overtime, but they also came back from a two-goal <laughs> deficit. But so. apparently this team can only do that if you take a penalty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So Nathan McKinnon is the NHL's second star of the month. Well done there. Um, behind Patrick Laine's 18 goals and one assist. And one assist. <laughs> <laughs> got the Cy Young Award winner for the month. That's quite a feat. It's, yeah. It's 18 goals in a month, though. It's just stupid. Like, what's going on up there? Yeah. I think, it was, uh, I think Travis Yost was the one who threw out, like, He's got like a 500 shot sample now, and he continues to be north of 15. percent Like if you if you give him you know five or six shots in a game, and he doesn't score a goal, it's gonna be a, you can count yourself lucky. Yeah. I think his five goal game, he only had six shots. So yeah, <laughs> so good there. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think Liney is who Liney is at this point. So the less you, physically you appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Just appreciate it for what it is. He's an incredible scorer, and it is devastating that he is in the same division as the Avalanche. But claps to Nathan McKinnon for second star of the month across the entire NHL. Yeah. Not I think, that... what was it, 23 points? Sure. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. I am the so. first scratch of the month for the NHL for not looking that up. <laughs> Yeah, he had a he had a wonderful month, and you know, I I guess probably in national circles he, he's not overlooked, but I kind of overlook him just because Miko is the one leading the team, and you know, he Miko seems to either tie or exceed Max production on a nightly basis, but you know, Mac did gain on him this month. Uh, he did get an assist been... on a goal that wasn't scored by Miko Rantanen. Or was it the other yeah. way around? Did he score a goal he, that Miko Rantanen didn't assist on? Yeah, That's no, he hasn't that, yet. That. No, he hasn't yet. Are you sure? I thought that happened. I think Miko had an assist on the empty net, unless they changed it. It was definitely his empty net goal against Pittsburgh. Yeah, but I still think Miko had an assist. Nope, McKinnon from Landeskog. Oh, did they take? They. No, I think Miko originally. So there you go. If he if he was given one, they took it away, which would be very rude in my opinion. But 
Shout out to so, Rico yeah, for scoring go. one without Rico Rand Finally. assisting. But that that's why we've overlooked him is because his he's always got help from Miko Ranson and who's scoring in well, a torrid. Base. I think I think in some ways we are a little hard on McKinnon and and kind of do overlook him, but I think la- like games like last night kind of do remind us that that I think it really does help him to have someone like Miko. He just when McKinnon gets in his hero mode and he just has the tunnel vision and and he was he was flying. He was skating so fast last night. And you can understand why he wants to carry the puck and take it himself. But if it's not going in and then you're not finding your teammates, it's just it, it does become frustrating. And I think it's kind of been something he's been plagued with all year. And then you say, okay, well, he has 41 points and he's the, the second star of the month. Like, what what could you possibly want more from him? But I think those of us that watch him all the time do kind of share the same sentiment. Uh, they, you know, they went up a, against a pretty tough line last night. I mean, O'Reilly, you know, as much as I'm, I'm not really a fan of his game altogether, he's very good defensively and, and he and that whole line basically shut um, Mac and Miko and Gabe down. And he did have um, a lot of chances. I mean, he, he could yeah. have definitely scored. Right. Yep. There's, again, there's Jake Allen with his, hor- with his horseshoe last night. Yeah. But, you know, it's like they were, you know, they are usually a, a fairly positive Corsi line, and they were not last night. Um. You know, and the only goal was Miko had the the unassisted power play goal. So, you know, it that's that's not their normal night. So, <clears throat> um, you know, good. I, I think that's a big reason why the Blues were able to, you know, get get the two points in overtime and be in the game at, at, for any reason, really. And since you mentioned the power play, boy. The, the Avalanche could have used a second power play goal last night and they almost got one. Like, why is it that the best power plays of the season don't score? Yeah. Like, that, yeah, the, that third period power play last night was something else and it did not go in the net. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. What do you want? That was, uh, that was a lovely power play. We, you know, we've I, taken I, so much airtime on the show complaining about the power play, especially the that McKinnon unit. And since they've started working it down low more, it's just exploded and been absolutely deadly. Well, you know, yeah. what else they had last night was Gerard on that unit. Yeah. I mean, Sam's done, Sam's done a fantastic job for Barry over the last three games. Um, he should have had a point last night. He would have had the primary assist that just the Blues player cleared the puck, touched the puck a little bit, so... But it, it was Sam's shot that was the rebound that Miko put in. Right. And I think he had two two points in Nashville that I think they were... One was on the power play, one was five on five, and then he had the goal against Pittsburgh. So he's... Yeah, he's he has stepped up. And I think... I, I totally agree that them working the puck down low, and they're also involving Wilson in the middle more. Like, they'll actually pass to him now. So that's helpful. Boy, but, did he miss a bunch of chances last night. <laughs> <laughs> but I will stay on on my you know hill to die on that. Gerard on the first power play unit makes it better too. I think it has. I think he's been good there. 
I don't think you can get I think a lot it makes a difference. I, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from Tyson Berry. You know, it, with Sam stepping in like this, you're like, oh, you know, it's like anyone that's offensively talented could make this work. And, you know, it's like both Berry and Sam are very special players as far as creating offense. They're just very different. Yeah, um, no, it's... it's so, so don't look at this like, you know, anyone could step in there. Like, you, you know, like if EJ was in there, this would not be happening. I mean, EJ's no, no. not very good on the power play, <laughs> although he hasn't been bad on the second unit. I mean, he's, he's sort of been better than usual because I think... Sure. What we're talking about with them getting the puck low keeps it away from the point a little bit more with him on the ice, which works out nice. <laughs> um, no, but, it... No, I agree. Like the reason why I'm so insistent about Sam on the first unit isn't because it's like a Barry sucks kind of thing. It's it is because of his skill sets and his talents lend especially to on the power play. Yeah, he's, he's very I- good at creating space where there wasn't any. He's very good at like just reading the play and and making just making stuff happen when it ne- wasn't necessarily going to. Um, that, that's part of where. Um, you start to wonder, well, why can't he do that in uh, in the three on three overtime? But power play is a little more important, right? And I, I think also what Sam brings from the second unit is they they kind of got that working down low and getting players moving in the lower part of the zone thing. I mean, you know what what Kerfoot and Jost and and those guys were doing as far as you know, it, it looks like that's what Ray Bennett was trying to get everybody to do. The first unit just wasn't doing it. And I, I think Sam is able to sort of teach the rest of those guys sort of what's been happening on the other unit. And that, that sort of helped everybody out. It's really prope- propelled McKinnon too, just because he's so often the beneficiary of those power plays that develop and put the puck on his stick. So Sam, Sam Girard may have a little bit to, to play when, with Nathan McKinnon's second star of the month. Sure. I'd say so. I would love it if McKinnon would convert one of those stretch passes that Sam gives to him. (laughs) That would be lovely. Breakaways. I don't know what's up with that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's do stars and scratches of our own. Okay. I would like to start off with Nikita Zadorov. Yeah. I I think with Barry being out, he stepped into that role. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, obviously it's not the scoring defenseman role that it is when Barry's in there with Cole, but I, I think that second pairing is different. But you know, it it, it brings a lot of the same energy, um, maybe not the same threat. Although Z has been scoring since that happened, scoring um, earned goals, not like butt goals or nothing. Right, um, but I, I, you know, I, I think it shows that. You know that that you can have that dynamic um, of a second pair that that's not sort of Barry and some guy, um, <clears throat> you know, because those guys are able to shut down and defend as well as create a little bit of offense. And um, you know, it, I think just for stability's sake, stability's sake, um, you know, that's just as good as having Barry in the lineup. Obviously, it'd be better if he was there, but. Um, you know, you, you can get wins with that top four. I guess is it too easy for me to give mine to Sam? <laughs> no way! I know. No way. 
Oh, we just we just. It's not. I give it praises. to Miko. <laughs> I'm gonna give mine to Miko. So give it to Sam. Yeah. Do you want to say just, more, or are you gonna say we've um, already sung his praises? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Just that. Um, you know, he played 26 minutes last night. He's. I I think he's had a couple really strong games, uh, especially five on five, and and he's chipped in some some points, and I. In Barry's absence, which he did last year when Barry was gone, I think it was like eight points in fourteen games when Barry was out of the lineup last year, and now it's three points in three three games. It should have been four, but you know, whatever. So, um, and you know, it's not always perfect with Sam. He uh, he obviously still makes some mistakes, but I think all the defensemen make mistakes too. I think sometimes his are a little bit more visible, but I think he's made so many good plays and he's, he's done well, especially in Barry's absence. I think when we harp on Sam's mistake, it's a little bit like when we harp on McKinnon's mistakes. It's just like, come yeah. on, we know you're better than that. He usually cleans up his own mistakes. He's usually not like an oops and hope your partner does it. Like, or if he, he flubs the puck or whatever, cutting out. Is that what no, you said? No, I said, I said, or your goalie. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he usually will clean up if if he kind of messed something up. And I also feel like he doesn't let, like, a game snowball. Like, he might have a bad period, but he'll usually bounce back and and have stronger periods the rest of the game. But anyway... And I'm also down with Miko getting a star because I, I still think he's been fabulous. He maybe hasn't been as much of a headliner this week, which is funny, still leading the league in scoring. But some of the plays he made, like the, the pass on Gerard's goal was just fantastic. And he's just still doing crazy, crazy stuff out there. Yeah, the reason that I will... This is kind of with apologies to Varley. I'll make him an honorable mention. Um... I, you really started to notice it in the game against St. Louis, there, where Miko is really filling himself out there. He's starting to kind of take over the play of, you know, what do we want to do out here? The all-world, like, five-shot power play shift that didn't result in a goal but was extremely scary. Um, that was I think that was the one that Miko Rantanen was on the bench, like, hey, look, give me the whiteboard, I'm seeing something out here. And then he's also out there on the ice directing traffic, like, when the when the puck gets stopped by, a, I think, Alan froze it. He's, he's out there, you know, continuing to make calls. He's continuing to point out things on, you know, here's here's where you where we can do stuff. Like, you can see him out there just... And that is really cool, because he's a smart player, and yeah, it's great if he feels comfortable enough to kind of direct everybody, and I am and curious. Mac, <laughs> <laughs> Mac has all the skill in the world. And that we will not take that from him. And the IQ on the line is with Miko Rantanen. <laughs> I don't think Max a complete line A. But no, no, definitely not. But but no, it helps having having the brains behind the operation elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And and Landis Cog's not a dumb player either by any means. No, not at all. He just brings so a I, totally I would... different skill set and a totally different kind of IQ as a positional IQ as opposed to how can we score here. Yeah, I, w- I wish that they Miko could reveal what what his strategy or his thinking was there, but I know that's probably not something they don't want to get into. But no, not I, at all. I, <laughs> I, I was, was, was kind of looking to see if they did something different. Like, was there a 
kind of a different passing play or something. And it didn't seem like there was anything too real obvious, but whatever it was, maybe it did work because he had, um, they, they had, they had a lot of shots. And I think it went practice when Gerard was still in the second unit, there was a lot of pictures of him like pointing with the, the second unit guy. So I think he was directing a little bit there, which, yeah. which I think is good because, because playing with him, you have to like have an idea what he wants to do, which I still think is something the team's trying to figure out. I think it's been three times, I don't know if this week or just recently, where it's like Landeskog looks genuinely surprised that Sam has given him a pass. He does sing things so shifty and so quickly that it's really, you don't have a lot of time to react to it. And that's why it's so effective, because the defense isn't ready for it either, but if the recipient of your pass isn't looking for it, like you've just, you've got to be ready for Sam to get you the puck now. Right. And I, I think once, once they get closer on the same page where he's communicating what he wants they they get used to it. it I think it, there will be a point where they cross kind of a threshold and then it'll really add a dimension just to their offense in general. They're getting there, but I, I think that there's another step they could take. So that is kind of like an exciting thing to watch for in the future. So since I... We'll, we'll just do this snake mode. Um, since I had the last star, I'll make the first scratch. I've been pretty discouraged with Alexander Kerfoot this week. I feel like he's been a turnover machine. And otherwise, his line has been pretty invisible. Yeah, that was... They're probably the, the weakest line of the week. Can we just give them all the scratches because... No, I've got a good one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, I... it is kind of tough when they get five out of six points. Nobody really, really... I mean, unless you just want to like pick on Nemeth or something. But but go ahead. No, I agree with you. That line hasn't been great this week. Jost did get the power play goal in Nashville. But I feel like Wilson's kind of low-key been not so great either. Yeah, but he's not the one who's making passes out from behind his own net that then go right on goal. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, Alt's pass last night was really bad, but Curse was probably worse. Alt's wasn't imminently dangerous. I was in the neutral zone. Yeah. No, his oh, was he had he had one in the defensive zone, but yeah. yeah, not the one I was talking about earlier. Oh yeah, yeah I know, I know that one. It's, yeah, but that that's that line. It's a pathetic conversation. Let's let's move on to which bad alt pass are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> There's many, but yeah, um, you know, Will Wilson's always going to be kind of like part of the the no finish club. I mean, he he does finish some, but yeah, but at least <laughs> he's getting shots. At least he's generating, you know. Corsi attempts and things. You could like say that. that about like Nieto and Calvert, though. It's just like, sure. um, yeah, it's but, great the puck's moving forward, but at some point, doesn't it need to go in? Yeah, but that's not why that line's bad. <laughs> that line's getting <laughs> bad because they're getting buried all the time. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, because I mean, once they're in the offensive zone, I mean, yeah, they're not scoring much, but they're you know they're they're okay there. It's they're playing the neutral zone that's really flustering me um my scratch for the week is going to be and, and this is a chronic issue that we've all seen for about probably probably about a year now is the inability to score at three on three 
overtime. <laughs> You're gonna scratch overtime, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it 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 seems to be I I you know it, it's tough to say what their system is because obviously no one is executing it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's a know, shame because they used to be so good at it, but it's, it's like they overthink it or. Oh, I don't think they're overthinking it at all. I think it's quite the opposite. I think they're underthinking it by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, what it looks like is that, you know, basically the way to play overtime is man to man. And I was, you know, the the Eagles and the Grizzlies, for that matter, last night went to overtime. And both the Eagles and Grizzlies managed to get shootout wins, whereas the Avs just didn't make it there. Um. But one thing I was watching with the Eagles, and I think this gives some insight into what the Avs do. They usually get scored on so quick you can't even tell what they're doing. But with the Eagles, at least they made it the whole way. Um, They're playing a zone three-on-three in the defensive zone. And that just allows the opponents to, you know, as long as they don't go into the zone, um, they can do whatever they want with the puck and just wait for the opportunity. And that's that's really not the way that the NHL is going now. If you watch other teams, like pretty much everyone is going to man-to-man in, in overtime, and the Avs just aren't there yet, or they're being told to do that, and they aren't doing it, which is entirely possible. I, I think that's what I'm seeing is, is a key reason why they're unable to um, you know, get the puck away from the opponent when they trapped in their defensive zone inevitably um and also i think it's a reason that they don't do well once they get into the offensive zone is because they're used to playing on a zone um and the other team is forcing them to make bad passes because they're going man to man and i know that's something that like you can't really devote a lot of practice time to it it's like you might devote one part of one practice per month to this because it's just not something that comes up all that often. It um, is directly they, related they, to you getting points, though. So right. it, it's something. Yeah, like, and it's to the point where they're really losing a bunch of points. Because yeah. Like so, when they, I think it was when they got toasted on four on four and then they actually practiced it and then it did come up like the very next game and they were much better at it. Yeah, I think remember when that happened last year. So it it could help in some way, but for yeah. for me, it's the frustrating part is the team is so good on the rush. There's the great chemistry between like McKinnon and Rantanen, and they just have no play that they make when they get in the offensive zone. And it, it's just <laughs> like whoever has the puck is trying to like hero it. Yep, take it to it, the net, and it's happened. <laughs> And the other thing is, not like they try something and it gets broken up. It's and, it's, and the Eagles did the same thing. Yeah, it it it's like they lose it. I remember the one where EJ just like just coughed it up in the corner all by himself, and then the, last night it was ranted and gave it up. It's just like it's, and I think the one before it, Barry just just had it and lost it. It's like they're trying for these super low percentage plays and it's well, it's, just, it's playing it, playing against man on man is a completely different mindset than playing on a zone. It's like when you're playing on a zone, it's like you have safe areas around the ice. When you're playing man on man, there's no safe area. So it's like you've got to have a plan as soon as you get the puck. But um, it's just so funny because they they can play 
one-on-one man against man just fine five on five and it's just like can you have a play and then i know i i think that the the drop pass to mckinnon was part of trying to come up with a play because you just the way they set up like that just doesn't happen like they knew that that's yeah. what they were going to do and then i think it got him the zone entry but then after that right they can't do pressure yeah it, it's just all you need to do is just have a play between two players and you usually will have a great a great look at the net and then well, if mean, it the, goes in it goes in right i mean the thing is is like you're you're probably going to score on a rush chance like you know there there's a small percentage of plays that end up being you know, like someone gets out of position and someone makes a great shot from the slot or, you know, sort of the, the high circles area. But in general, you're going to get sort of an odd man rush and score in overtime. Which is so funny like because one, they're great at odd man rush. Right. Well, the <laughs> thing that happens is is they enter the zone and it's not a rush chance anymore. And then they don't know what to do and they turn it over. Yeah, pretty so much. Like <laughs> when they enter the zone and the odd man situation isn't there... They need to be able to draw back out, regroup, and then make another attempt at it. And that's that's what I'm seeing teams doing a lot. Not this um, one. And then not... having the guy back, which is usually Gerard, help any. So you might as well just try to attack with three. Right. It's like, you know... It, You're going to give up a breakaway know... in overtime at some point. Yeah. So they'd but be the, better the, the, served the... trying to attack better. Well, it's it, it's more like make your attack, and if it doesn't work, pull out of the zone, regroup, and reattack. Right, rather than don't, trying to have it be like two on three with one guy back. Right, then don't just keep nothing happens. banging your head against the wall when it's not going <laughs> to be there. So there are six teams that have five overtime losses on, on today, December first. Six come some of them are still playing tonight, so we that number may change by the time you hear this episode. But tell me how many of these teams are good. They are Chicago, Pittsburgh, Montreal, San Jose, Anaheim, and the Colorado Avalanche. Well, these are all teams that have been good in the past, and I think being able to get games to overtime isn't is a skill or is is something that better teams do. So, I like uh, the games that the Avs have been to overtime haven't just been all collapses. It's been they got the got the game to overtime for the most part. So that part's good. It's just yeah, they need yeah. to be able to finish the job more often, but or at least once. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think having a lot of overtime points isn't necessarily bad because that will help in the standings down the line. Like, what was it one year Chicago had like 15 overtime loss points? That, and that's the whole I reason think, Anaheim yeah. got in last year. But that, the, yeah. the point is, you've already lost in overtime five times at a point in the season where most teams have played about 25 games. You're, you're telling me that it, you've it, left a point on the table 20% of the time, in 20% of your games, on coin flips. Well, then that does yeah. seem like something that's worth practicing because. Well, I mean, and there, there's a big difference between being five and five in overtime and being one and five like the Avs are. And that one is from a power play situation. Right. And it's like they haven't won a three on three situation yet. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's going to be worth taking. I like, 
I, I know Bednar runs quick practices. I, you know, I think that he could probably do some video for a half an hour and then, and then take, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, in one practice and, and probably fix a lot of this. I agree. Around the central, looks like Minnesota are trailing at the end of the first. So, thank you, Toronto. And how many goals does Nylander have? <laughs> Unless he's scoring them from Sweden, I don't know how that's going to happen. <laughs> but the Avs do spend next week on a four-day road trip across the Eastern Conference, but they will not be playing William Nylander because they don't face Toronto until 2019. But on Sunday, which is likely today for you listeners. They start off against the Red Wings in Detroit. Then they go on to Pittsburgh on Tuesday to rematch with the Penguins, which is thankfully not on national television this time. We don't have to Ooh. deal with Pierre. On Thursday, they head to Florida, first to head off against the Panthers, and then on Saturday, the rematch with the Tampa Bay Lightning. All games are at Five Mountain, and all games are on altitude. Nothing confusing about the television schedule this time. Wow. All high definition, too. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be nice to get into a rhythm. They've had a really choppy schedule the last few weeks. So I think I think even for the, the players, it'll be helpful as well that it's... And it's not a crazy road trip where they're doing back-to-backs. It, it was like kind of how the road trip was at the beginning of the season. And they got in a good rhythm there. So I think... I think it'll be a good road trip for them. Does it make that that having four road games but evenly spaced sounds a lot better than having home games the way that they've <laughs> been over the last couple of weeks? It, it's December one, and two of our home games have already been sludge games. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be nice if they could get on on a rhythm at home too. But I just think the rhythm of this schedule will be good for them. Yeah, I do too. I mean. It's just because they've, they've had none the past couple of weeks. But after this, it will be nice for them to be at home. I think they finish out December pretty home-heavy. January usually is, at least in the beginning. So this is kind of like the last one before, before they head back home. But they've been good on the road. These are winnable games. Um, I, I hope for three out of four. I hope for uh, six point. I think I think the rematch with Pittsburgh might be tough. I, I my theory always is when you play a team that you just saw, the opposite result kind of happens. So I'm a little worried about the rematch there, even though we know Pittsburgh has has struggled. And if they jump out and get a good lead on Pittsburgh, they should be able to hold the fort down as long as Crosby's over his hat trick thing for a little bit. Um. <laughs> You hope they could beat Detroit and Florida. That's that's the hope. One good thing is I know Detroit's playing tonight. So with travel, they're playing Boston, I believe. And then so that's going to help a little bit that they're that the Abs are going to be a little bit more rested than them. Which weird fact is that th- I think three of the four opponents this week, their prior game is against Boston <laughs> for some. Like I think it's Florida and Tampa. The game before they play us is against Boston for some bizarre reason, but you know, whatever. That um, is weird. So, so um, you know what's Tampa? Weirder? What's weirder than that is playing is having four days off and then playing back to back and then playing having four days off again. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Tampa in Tampa is just going to be tough regardless. But um, I I think they can play well. I probably they'll probably drop a dumb game and then play Tampa pretty well. That's what usually happens. Also would help to get Barry back because the alt Nemeth pairing on the road all week is probably not going to be helpful. Yeah. I'm, Especially I'm, I'm since a little... the Soderberg lines back together. She didn't even talk about that. So, <sighs> And we're not going to. So um, <laughs> I, I think that Detroit is a little bit better than everyone gives them credit for. I don't think they're good. Yeah. But I think they're, they're, they're not scum level bottom of the league bad. Um, and Florida's in a weird spot. And I, I really do. I was not impressed with Pittsburgh, but no. they weren't terrible either. So like these no. are they're all winnable games, yes, but they're also losable games. Um, and then Tampa is obviously one of the best teams as usual. Um, so I would be very happy with six points. I'm more ex- more expecting four or five, probably five. Yeah, with I think go that's fair too. I just I'd, I I think that the streak has been so good that they're just. Um, you know, they're, they're just set up for a little bit of a lull here. Um, I'll still stick with six. I'll be the optimistic one. But, yeah. no, I, I definitely agree that... Um, I, I think your theory on little... Pittsburgh is correct. I think they'll probably end up losing that one in Tampa. I think there's a good chance um, of Pittsburgh being a bad game, which means that's the OTL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not betting on it. I think they'll beat Detroit. I've, I've watched a couple of Detroit games. And their their defense is is really awful. Um, they can score a lot because they have some good forwards, but I'm I'm not impressed with their defense at all. Um, I think Florida is just a such team. a weird team. <laughs> yeah, they're a good team with a horrible coach, and so I I just I I don't think they're going to have an answer for the Avs. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if honestly they beat Tampa, but I just you know it's not something you'd look for. Right. It's like after they drop two stupid ones and then they'll beat Tampa. Well, somebody has yeah. to do it. Somebody has to beat Tampa. You can't win 82 yeah. games. They haven't won. They're not on pace to win 82 games. So they. I think Ottawa beat them twice, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Ottawa's the weirdest team in the whole fucking league. They're like, yeah. They will score five or six on you, and you can expect to score five or six on them. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like playing bad teams. If you just jump on them early, that that usually gives you a really, really good chance to win. It's just when you let them hang around that give them a chance. Because every team has some talent. Give them a chance to make some plays. Yeah. So whichever team it ends up being that, you know, the Avalanche come out of their win streak and just look really weird against you know you'll be able to find out here and we will be back at our normal sunday recording for a sunday evening monday morning release schedule for the foreseeable future starting next week so that's very good um but i thought thought it was cool to get this one in on the saturday and kind of just do a road trip show next week we'll get the whole road trip between now and then so However the road trip goes, you know you can find out here on Burgundy Radio, which you can listen to on iTunes, on your favorite podcatcher. You can get it directly at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. 
You can also find the podcast posted from those two locations on burgundyrainbow.com, and you can join the conversation with us in, on the Discord, which is linked from the top of Burgundy Rainbow, or you can you know, throw your tweets at us, although the, the mentions have been a little bit tire-fiery lately because of certain teams we've played recently, but in between now and then, keep your head up in the dirty areas, and we'll see you next week. the kings of the second round you know yeah that's true i wouldn't want to be the kings of anything right now <laughs> that is a bad hockey team <laughs> yes they are even the point thinks so <laughs> <laughs> the fucking point <laughs> shout out to the point <laughs> no slot shots no bueno oh jeez <laughs> the, the point watched the colbert report and said you know what I can do that. They're going to have to have, like, one of their little counters, like, ha- give an exclusive, whatever you call it, at, at some point, and, and, like, explain how they did it all. Well, you see, we saw a thing that we thought looked pretty <laughs> special, and so we declared it the best in the league and made up numbers to go with it. And then Pay we no did attention all... to that point behind the curtain. And then we like, did we it over sat- and over again. We all sat in a row in a basement. We promised jobs in the NHL office. And we just counted. I got to be the stick check girl. (laughs) (laughs) Or they'll be like, oh no, we watched like three minutes per uh, each game. We got it done fast. And we extrapolated. If you just watch the first five minutes of the second period. That's right. Oh, that's all that matters. Our internal metrics show that that's easily the most representative sample of any hockey game. Exactly. Can we see those metrics? No. Uh, no. I don't think so. <laughs> I think those oh, are corporate secrets. That's the word I was looking for. Someone's going to have an expose one day.